0: Reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Today's episode of the Chase to podcast is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Panko Chicken. The new Atlanta restaurant thrives off of a unique spin on Japanese and Western cuisine and is already... Racking up the awards, winning best-selling Taste in the Taste of Atlanta awards both in 2017 and 2018. So, if you're in the Metro Atlanta area and are wanting to try something new and good and delicious, go to Panko Chicken today and tell them that I sent you over. You'll be glad you did, I promise. Panko Chicken, where it eats meets west chase thomas pod the chase thomas podcast um my nephew needs me to record see i hate
1: i already hate it i hate
0: it all right welcome back to a thursday night edition of the chase thomas podcast and my guest now his second appearance on the podcast one of my favorite writers who i have been reading for years jeff schultz formerly of the ajc now the athletic jeff good evening how are you sir doing great thanks for having me um one of my favorite things uh this offseason that you wrote, um, it uh, had a line in there about Liberty Media and uh they're um
2: My favourite one of my favorite foils.
0: Oh, it's um you missed the Spirit Group, right? Is this just the new this is kind of the <laughs> replacement? Is that what this is? Is that how Atlanta has to work now? You get one of these kind of corporations just owning at least one of the teams for the rest of our lives. Is that how it works? But, uh, anyway i'm sorry what did i what did i write that so dazzled you <laughs> the well i uh, you liked it and it was just the i love that you're like going to get me to put uh to push the actual line on the podcast it's it's very clever uh jeff but i don't have it in front of me but i encourage everyone to to check out your work on the athletic.com that's what they can do and they could subscribe but i'm not going to actually recite your you're, you're that's okay that was just kidding mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> i can do a dramatic reading if you want i could go back and try to find it but that hey,
0: hey you know what <laughs> if you want to close this podcast out tonight with a dramatic reading of your work more power to you sir because i am 100 percent okay with it because i read your work like you're one of those people that now that i've talked to you and um i i have a good handle on just kind of your sense of humor and your personality that like i read your stuff through your voice and like the way i could just see you reading it uh, writing it, and just being like oh i know what he's doing here okay <laughs> he he smirked hey. when he did that am i
2: you can say about me because like people you know people have often asked me about like writing columns as opposed to covering a beat um and you know when i at a very young age i was influenced by columnists and and someone always asked me about you know what makes what do you think makes a good columnist? And to me, it's not about, oh, I was necessarily taking a strong stance or ripping somebody or saying everything's great. It's more about, it's more about when you write, um, you write with a voice. And to me, the columnists that influenced me most were those who I could actually hear talking when they wrote. So the fact that you said that, um, great. I appreciate that. It's very humbling. And who was your guy <laughs>
0: when you were growing up? Who, who well, I grew you? up in Los a-
2: Yeah, I grew up in Los Angeles. So um, they had a, uh, the LA times, uh, had a columnist named Jim Murray, the late Jim Murray, who, um, won a Pulitzer and he used to have me rolling in the aisles every morning. And, um, so he certainly was one of them, but this was obviously back in the days before the internet. So I used to actually go to that thing called the library, um, mm. where there were books and you could actually go, they, they would have out of town newspapers there. So I would read, you know, new york times chicago tribune papers from detroit and boston and just to read the columnists and those were the guys who tended to influence me the most
0: interesting yeah now we just have starbucks so we can go in there and pay like three dollars yeah for this. yeah yeah and your laptop basically yes mm-hmm. <laughs> do you prefer do you still get hard copy of any paper or do you do everything digital now
2: um i i got hard copy um throughout my time uh in my life and career, uh, including the AJC. And then frankly, after I left the AJC, I cut, I mean, I still subscribe, but I get hard copy now on Lance. Mm. Oh, mm. not because I dislike the AJC or anything like that. I still have a lot of good friends there, but unfortunately the situation in sports is that deadline print deadlines are so ridiculously early now and and obviously the majority of sports events are at night and so the print product of sports is is not nearly as good as the online product and as strange as it sounds and so I I just thought it was sort of a waste of time to be to be um getting print during the week and frankly my wife and I are both so busy during the week that really the only time we get a chance to really sit down with the paper is on Sundays
0: okay are you Um, still reading the times what are you reading
2: uh, I read everything. I'm all over. I'm on the internet. I read. To- I'm, I tell you, I read everything. I read everything, and I'm not necessarily going to certain sites. I'm more you know, if I'm if I'm writing something, yeah, these website. Um, The great thing actually about being in the athlete, on the athletic and you know subscribing to the athletic is, I'm suddenly on a national website. So, if I'm writing about somebody that might pertain to let's say Boston I could go to the athletics backslash Boston and read what you know the Boston writers have have written on them or or I mean it's kind of cool that way I'm I'm part of this sort of we have over 300 people now that I think uh, the athletic has hired so um so yeah I really I you know I've been in this business a long time I'm really old and so I I have friends around the country who write for different outlets and so I, I I sort of gravitate to the ones I know when were research subjects, um, you know, based on that, based on okay. something I'm probably writing writing about or thinking about writing about.
0: Did you read Dan Jenkins at all? Because he was a lot of my time. I uh, I wasn't
2: a I mean I subscribed to Sports Illustrated like everybody else. Um, I didn't grow up necessarily a huge golf reader per se. Mm-hmm. I didn't golf as a kid so i probably didn't read him as much as i read others but i certainly read him we you know we wrote college football they had the great they had a great cast of writers for all of their sports um and um but i didn't like i said since i didn't read a lot of golf i probably didn't read a lot of him as much as some other people did but obviously a uh, amazingly talented writer um and i i think a writer is a lot of people sort of try to emulate and his daughter sally jenkins of the washington post is uh is is obviously equally talented she's very good
0: yeah um made it to 90 though good life for a writer
2: yeah yeah absolutely i you won't see me writing at that age and <laughs>
0: you
2: know i work on a staff with firman Bishop who wrote firman bisher who wrote to that age and i i don't think you'll see me
0: do you not want to or you just don't definitely. think you will it, would you do it if it was an opportunity would you be like why not uh
2: i wouldn't if i if you see me writing something at the age of 80 something or 90 it's because it's something i'm really moved to write it's not mm-hmm. won't be part of my job it would be sort of uh uh a book or uh some sort of essay or a freelance piece somebody you wanted me to write but it wouldn't be something you won't see me actually working a uh I mean regular job at that age.
0: Yeah, I just hope you like either. chronicling <laughs> our time on this podcast and you're like, Oh, I worked with Chase when he was I, in his twenties and um I, he was just I'm somebody sure. who caught my eye and Jasingri is now. It's it's amazing. And you you can write the the intro, I, help me ghostwrite the the rise of the Chase Thomas Podcast, I'm sure, I'm
2: su- Yeah, I'm sure maybe by the time you're collecting your second Pulitzer, third Emmy, you know, a few Marconi's, Do they start with Marconi? Marconi? I don't know. I mean, you know, sure. certainly I'll, then I'll, about how I was there at the beginning.
0: Yeah. There you go. <laughs> See, we, Jeff, I'm not kidding. Like this is, this is the long-term <laughs> partnership. I mean, I had ulterior motives when, uh, I asked you to come on the first time. I was like, I want to build this rapport. So it's not a tough ask when down the line, I need you to, to profile me on the athletic of uh, the Chase, Chase Thomas experience. Like you just, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta get with it. So I appreciate, you I, I appreciate on. that. Well, well,
2: you know, I'll, I'll sign on just this and you sign a check. How about that?
0: <laughs> it's, um it's an IOU and those are just as good as money, sir. Um, which is a great Dumb and Dumber reference uh, for anyone who did not watch that movie. Um, But back to Liberty Media. This is a, because I'm a professional podcaster, I'm able to bring us back in uh, very easily and organically and smoothly to transition back to Liberty Media, uh, a punching bag for me. And I think the most interesting thing with the Braves this offseason is that I don't think they expected this amount of pushback from the fans, right? I think... Fans have gotten a lot smarter. I think fans um, understand that this team... It, like You it's you can't avoid the money that they're making, and you see that story about how much they're making from the battery and all that kind right. of stuff, and you see the story about it just being a real estate thing and that they just want to make a lot of money, and you go back to what when they bought the team, because I wrote a piece on this where I'm like, the difference between the 90s Braves and right. um, now is... Like, this is just... It's a real estate thing. Ted Turner actually, like, wanted to win championships. I don't think Liberty Media cares about winning championships. They got bought the Braves for a great bargain. They've already made a shit ton of money. They're going to be okay. And if they can make... And they, if they believe that this team can still be good and pseudo-contend while also not going into luxury tax hell, they're, they're going to do it. And um, I think... The majority of Braves fans have latched onto this. Like a lot if you go to all the Twitter stuff and the pushback, like most fans are like, no, we're not buying this. Like you can sign all the Brian McCann nostalgia picks you want, but like we still see what you're doing. Like we still understand that like this team won ninety games and the Phillies just signed Bryce Harper and the Nats signed Patrick Corbin and all the the rest of the division's still going for it. And you're just resting on your laurels. Like it, it's fascinating. Yeah.
2: Yeah, here's yeah, here's the thing. I mean, I really like Alex Anthopoulos, um, you know, the general manager, and and you know, he's he's saying, I think, what he has to say that yeah. we're gonna, you know, we we have we're gonna have money to spend, you know, during the season. Our but we our payroll will be higher the next year. Um, we we like our team. We like our young guys, and and all of that is true. But you know, to your point. You know this. You can roll this back when the team first announced that they were going to move to the suburbs. I know technically some people think it's still Atlanta, but no,
0: trust it is me, not Atlanta. That is a suburb. a suburbs. Folks. It's not Atlanta.
2: <laughs> when you move outside of two eighty five, it's 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 a suburb. And mm-hmm. and um and you know the, that the move itself was polarizing. But regardless of what side you were on, and in in the should they move debate there's no question that, that one of the talking points that they used at almost concert interview opportunity was that we're going to be able to make, you know, a lot of money um, in our new setup, because, which is true, because we have this retail component, which is true. And they're the landlords of that retail component. And, and, and they're going to have, you know, a lot of stadiums now, both but particularly football, but also baseball are set up as sort of this, this, Big ATM machine, and and they're going to be able to funnel all of, the, not all of them, but certainly a significant portion of their resources from the battery and from the stadium itself to payroll. And we're going to be able to build a better team for you, and and that's all sort of all you heard and heard. And then last year, um, you know, when I had a a long sit down. Um, when I was at the AJC with, with Terry McGurk and, and Alex Anthopoulos and Derek Schiller and,
0: I read and this, all, yeah. a lot of, a lot of the, yeah, a lot
2: of the other executives, they
0: all. Uh,
2: we said that, but you also have to understand that we have this debt to pay off and this and that, which is true. I mean, they have enormous construction loans um, from the stadium, notwithstanding they got a lot of public money, but they, they had to spend a lot of the money themselves too. And construction loans from the battery and, and, and debt you know, from the land that they purchased and everything else. And not, everyth- not everything is taken off. The retail didn't take off on the battery. The restaurants, I, excuse me, I guess are doing well, but I'm not really sure. like they're on the news. But, you know, that being said, you know, people don't want to hear that you have a debt service or that you have loans to pay or construction costs. Because all they all they remember is you said is that they said, when, when, when we move to a new stadium, we are going to have more money to spend Mm -hmm. and they have not spent that money and they're not going to spend that money this year. And so you Hold know, on, again, did
0: you uh, miss that Josh Donaldson signed for one year and uh, a lot of money that that counts as spending
2: 23 now. million yeah. and, and I think that's and I think that's fine. But, you know, frankly, if Josh Donaldson and this is nothing against him, but if he could have signed a multi-year contract somewhere else, he would have signed a multi-year right. contract.
0: And that's what and, it is. like there are people who are like, he might be an MVP this he, year. And I'm like, he's not playing in like 60 games. He, he, he might. You know what? Training.
2: He might, be, he might be the signing of the year, or he might be, eh, we don't really know. I mean, there's a reason he signed a one-year contract. And right. I don't say that as a criticism of Josh Donaldson. I'm just saying there's a reason he signed a one-year contract. And, but when you look at what the Braves did, and look, I, I like you know, them being – Bringing back Brian McCann. I mean, obviously, people would have loved J.T. Realmuto, who, by the way, the Phillies also signed in addition to Bryce Harper. But but if you're not going to do that, I kind of like bringing McCann back because I think he's a good veteran presence in the clubhouse, which they needed. Um, and I also think he'll be good for the young pitchers. But when you when you stack the Braves quote two unquote quote unquote two major moves of the offseason, which are McCann and Josh Donaldson against the Phillies. Bryce Harper, Riomoto, McCutcheon, Segura, the Nats. Okay. They lost Harper, but they, they, they added Patrick Corbin and Brian Dozier and they have this amazing pitching staff. The they Mets have, have an Juan amazing.
0: Juan Soto, who is just the, a, yeah. a budding superstar too, that like we love Acuna, but like, they have their own.
2: Yeah. I mean, the Mets have an unbelievable rotation. They added a couple pieces. I mean, I, I could the Braves win the division again. Yes, absolutely. But they could also finish fourth. And, yeah anybody anybody who because they're not going to finish behind the Marlins not, none of the teams I mentioned are going to finish behind the Marlins I
0: would agree yes. but when
2: when you when you're coming you're coming off a really good season um and you're coming off a ninety win season, but you're also coming off a season where it's not hard to remember that a vast majority of their wins came within the national League East. Mm-hmm. and when you saw the I mean, anybody can look it up and, and look at the splits about what their division what their record was against everybody else. Outside of the NL East, and was below 500. And when you see all the other teams, what they did in the soft season, and certainly the Nationals, even if the Nationals didn't didn't let's say improve to the level the Phillies did, the Nationals significantly underachieved last year. So there's going to be a market correction there. The Phillies are going to get better. The Mets are, or maybe even maybe the Mets are the Count on the National League East to to basically pile up wins again, like they did last year, which and which means they're probably their record isn't going to be as good. And they had an opportunity, I think, to go to the next level, yes. and they didn't do it. And, and we'll see we'll see how it plays out. I mean, obviously, the biggest question is with their starting rotation. They're counting on young guys, and and you know we'll wait to see, you know, Fulton which what what this injury is all about. Obviously, he's obviously he's going to miss the start of the year. Um their bullpen, yeah, we'll see, you know, but they haven't spent money. Um they're returning the same outfield as they had last year, which frankly really surprised me. Yeah. Um so I don't I don't know. We we'll, we'll see where it goes. I but I, I I understand why people are are disappointed and even angry with with the way the winter
0: went and they're just it, it's just not a it's not a great strategy to just be like a team that we all pegged like all a lot of smart baseball people pegged as what a 70 something win team last year before the season started and to bring that team basically back and just hope that your young guys all hit like that's the funny thing about them they're like right. all right so the braves are gonna build off their 91 season by um getting another all-star nick Markakis here uh josh donaldson playing 150 games minimum and uh 19 of their young prospects hitting all at the same time there's a reason that most prospects don't work and there's a reason that you i think you have to have like this nice mixture where like the red Sox, the astros the yankees like a lot of those teams mix it up a little bit where they're not just completely young prospect heavy because a lot of those guys just don't work out like look at uh, across the league a lot of teams that kind of went down that road and it's just really hard to be sustainable when that's your model and like I, I just fear that they're kind of more of like the Diamondbacks and maybe even the Indians and the Pirates where it's like, I think their goal is to not be awful, but also not spend enough to win the division every year. And I think that's just going to annoy fans like when you open this, open this new stadium and you talk about all these profits and it just this is a team on the rise, blah, 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 blah. I, I just it's going to be interesting if they finish fourth like what happens it. I'm with you on AA I don't think this is a him problem at all I liked him in Toronto he's a good general manager it's not his thing they're putting him out there and he's having to answer for his bosses and I'm sure that's not an enviable position for him to be in but yeah I think it's more than fair to criticize how the Braves operate especially It's it was honestly kind of arrogant to me. Well, they're like, we have enough young guys. We can get Markekis back. He'll be fine. Josh Donaldson will be healthy for us. Like, who cares that the Phillies signed Bryce Harper and um, everybody else? And they traded for Romuto. Who cares that Patrick Corbin and that pitching staff with the Schurz and everybody else in the Nationals are going to be good this year? Who cares? We're, we're still the Braves, and we have Acuna coming up. And yeah. Ozzie Albies is going to bounce back, and he'll hit lefties again. And Dansby Swanson, remember him? He might be good. No, it's not how this works.
2: God. Yeah, I, you know it's funny because I, I think for a long time the Braves exuded arrogance. Sometimes it was deserved, and and you know, in more recent years it wasn't deserved. But they they were just arrogant, and I I don't know how much of it is that. I don't know how much of it is denial. Um, I don't know how much of it is they really really believe that they're doing the right thing with the young pitchers now. Or I don't know how much of it is is like okay, we know we're lying, but this is this is our situation, and we can't do anything else. Yeah. Um, I think the real. No I, think, sense. I think, <laughs> tests will come if they don't start well. What do they do, um, and how quickly do they do it? And um, will they be able to respond with a significant move? Because you know, obviously, they're still incredibly. Dallas Keuchel and Craig are still out there as we're as we're taping this podcast and starting the start of the season is two weeks away. Um, but yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. Um, but you don't usually make trades early in the season because other teams aren't willing to make a trade. Um, you know, a team is going to make a trade into the season when they're also having problems. You're not going to get a general difference maker via trade early in the year. Not usually in the first month, often not even the first two months. I mean, that's really what the off season is about. Could they make deals before the deadline? If it's a close race, they could. Um, they certainly would have the pieces to do so. I think that's kind of their their strategy right now. Um, they think they're in a better position to make moves toward the trade deadline than than other teams, but that's just a really dangerous game to play. And that but that's that seems to be sort of what they're doing right now.
0: Yeah. Um it should be interesting, but it um I, I will say, it just makes me feel good that the Braves fans are all just like, No, we're not accepting this. I'm just glad they're not accepting it and rolling over there i'm glad that there is actual animosity here and kind of a pushback of like oh um this is not okay and uh we're not gonna stand for this uh this is dumb mm-hmm. so it should be it should be interesting to see how that works um another team in atlanta that's having a weird off season the falcons um yeah i picking up the beasley stuff is weird and dan quinn tying his his wagon to uh Vic Beasley's resurgence this year was is really interesting I guess um Grady Jarrett and his contracts weird um Robert Alford is gone um there it's it's a weird situation because they're in Capel, and Matt Ryan had to restructure for them to get a little bit of money to to help um their offensive line and they signed two guys to fill out their left and right guard spot and one um graded uh significantly better than the other the jet did not grade well i'm blanking on his name it's not in front of me right now but um it's it's interesting how they're going about things because they don't just have a lot of wiggle room and then the the highlight seems to be like oh god ab got what what do they have to pay julio jones how are they gonna do this and i uh, yeah i don't know
2: yeah so um obviously um you know you you talk about Dan Quinn is sort of hitching his wagon to Vic Beasley. Really, Dan Quinn is sort of hitching his wagon to himself. He, um, when he decided, I mean, he blew out, you know, a good portion of his coaching staff, and he decided to name himself defensive coordinator. That's probably the best thing, the best move the Falcons made this off season, because the best the defense played in terms of, in terms of its personality and playing with an edge was probably that second half or late in the Super Bowl season and through the playoffs, and that's when Dan Quinn was running the defense. So that's one thing he has proven he can do, and he was a former D-line coach. So to that extent, I'm sure he thinks he could get something out of Vic Beasley. But another... I addressed this um, in a recent uh, column about the Falcon salary cap situation and the Beasley decision and everything else. In an interview with thomas Dimitroff is because people have to understand sometimes and by the way let me just preface by saying i disagree with them giving Vic beasley 13 million dollars okay so i'll put that out there. <laughs> bold take but, yeah, <laughs> yeah yeah i know i i mean i i would not lesser deal but i don't think that was going to happen i think their belief was you know if they basically said we're not signing the option we gave you, he was going to go sign somewhere else. And and so then it became could you replace him for that amount of money, or could you think you'd get something out of him? But I think really honestly, one of the bigger contributing factors in the decision to bring Beasley back, and I addressed it in that column, was he is represented by CAA. agent uh, in land named Todd France, but Todd is who's one of the bigger agents nationally is is part of CAA creative artists something i don't know they don't represent me so I, I i don't know the the whole acronym but CAA also represents Matt Ryan they also represent Julio Jones and they also represent ding ding Grady Jarrett Ooh, and so
0: yeah. and
2: so and so people have to understand sometimes in in world of business and sports business um and and with in addition to the fact that they represent the quarterback and the wide receiver who is getting a new contract the fact that Grady Jarrett, who's the most difficult negotiation really this off season is also represented by the same Todd France you know if you if you basically you know it did so many words shit on Vic Beasley and cut him loose and says and say we well, we either a want to resign him to a lesser contract or b release him after 4 years uh- it's not going to have an impact on your negotiations with Grady Jarrett. And I don't think it would have an impact on negotiations with Julio Jones. I, I, I believe that deal is actually going to be relatively easy for them to do from the standpoint that they were, they've, they've been expecting this for two years, that they were going to have to redo Julio this year. Last year was the one that surprised them. Um, but the Grady Jarrett thing is a, is a really difficult negotiation. Mm Um, one of their two or three best players he was a low draft pick. And so he's taken a quantum leap in his salary. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's very difficult in those situations to find uh, what's called comparables in negotiations. You know, okay? Because side A, the agent player side, is going to come up with, well, we think he's like Aaron Donald. I'm not saying they said Aaron Donald, but that's kind of the group they're going to be looking at. Whereas the other guy, you know, the Falcons are going to be coming up with something significantly lower and they're both going to have really good cases. Um, But when you're talking about dollars at that level, it's really hard to make a deal. And and that's why you've seen them make some of the moves they have this year. I mean, they not only cut Ryan Schrader, which wasn't a surprise, but they actually are going to make it a post-June cut, which means they're going to have another $6 million in space this year, which means they're going to take a massive hit next year. But that's like the 2020 problem they're just trying to get 2019 done um they didn't necessarily they didn't restructure matt ryan but what they did was is they've they've basically guaranteed or they they turned some of his salary in 2019 into a signing bonus that's all they did but that enables them to basically prorate the signing bonus and and create like seven million dollars in space so and then they've cut some other players and you know you, you meant you know you mentioned um the cornerback and they also cut brian Poole Robert Alpher they also cut Brian Poole they cut Matt Bryant because they didn't want to pay a kicker that much money uh, and they had another kicker ready um you know they they've made a couple low budget signings, which they were expected to. they signed a couple guards um they signed James a, Brown a low and James low budget carpenter
0: Jamin Brown is the one who graded okay on the Giants towards the end of last year, but James carpenter was uh <laughs> pretty bad in in Jetland last year from, right, from what I can tell right
2: right and they uh they've also signed a blocking tight end basically um which is almost sort of a nod to Mike Malarkey. yeah mm-hmm. Luke Stalker. Uh, uh and he's not going to be there to receive much he's basically there to you know for stacked lines and goal line situations and short yards and stuff so
0: Stalking But the I'm line, sure they did
2: that be- there you go I'm sure they did that because they Mike Malarkey I think he played from more like Tennessee. So, but those are the, you know, the, the biggest improvement the Falcons are going to have to make is, is can Dan Quinn get the defense to play better? And then obviously they are going to have to stay healthier. Um, in many respects, despite their sort of underwhelming off season, um, the Falcons are in much better shape within their division than the Braves are within theirs. Because, Whereas the Phillies and the Nats and even to the Mets to some degree, you know, made some great moves in the winter to, to basically dwarf what the Braves did. It's not like the Saints, Buccaneers and Panthers are doing anything um, so much better than the Falcons right now. They've all got sets of issues. I mean, the best team in the division uh, last year was the Saints. Drew Brees is 40 years old. Um, And if you go back at his game log, uh, which I did just before this phone call from you. Okay. um, uh, breeze threw five interceptions in the last six games last year, the four regular season games and two playoffs. He only threw two interceptions in the first 12. Um, now maybe that's a sign of him tiring. Maybe that's a sign of, Oh, they just happen to play better teams in those last six games. Um, but I, I, I think a lot of people think maybe things might start to catch up with them. We're going to find out this next season, but I don't think I have to say how much the Saints depend on Drew Brees, even more so than most teams depend on their quarterback. I mean, Drew Brees is the Saints and vice versa. So um, I don't, again, I think if the Falcons stay healthy, which they couldn't do last year, I think they're the best team in the division, even with how little they will have done this offseason. And even if they don't get the Grady Jarrett deal done, they have them signed. And they they don't want to have him signed to the cap to, to the the franchise tag that they have him signed to, but he's not going anywhere. Even if they don't get the Julio Jones deal done, they have him signed. Um, so it's not like they're going to take a major hit, um, and they could still add players in the draft. So, um, I understand the angst and the anger and all that stuff. I, I certainly understand all the talk about the, the Vic Beasley situation. But when you take a step back, they're still a pretty good team if they're healthy and if the offensive line is better than it was last year, obviously.
0: Yeah, the offensive line a critical thing, especially as Matt Ryan gets older. Um, he goes back to a system that he's more comfortable with. I think Dirk Cutter um, just should be a, a, an upgrade over Steve Sarkeesian. He's no Kyle Shanahan, my, um, my one true king. But... Um, he should be a step up. And uh, we can go and pencil in uh, Devontae Freeman not rushing for 1,000 yards. I don't know if you've gone through uh, dirt Cutter's running backs over the years. Uh, not good. Uh, top 10 offenses, but the running backs are pretty much, you get the Jaquiz Rogers, Peyton Barber. You go through that. Uh, Doug Martin, it's it's bad. Like, dirt Cutter's running back situation. Like, go ahead and that's like, uh, just, is that a top three worst contract in football, the Devontae Freeman contract?
2: Well, it wouldn't have been if he stayed healthy. <laughs> I mean, honestly, you know, I, I, and I, I understand people being up, really upset with it. But if if he played like he played in the Super Bowl year, it would have been fine. But you were taking you were were rolling the dice a little bit because he's a running back, and running backs, particularly with his running style, I mean, he doesn't necessarily run around a lot of guys. He'll run over some guys, and he he runs head first, and he's had concussion issues. And the scary thing about him is. His injuries last year weren't even concussion related, which has yeah. been the biggest concern of all. Um and so now that contract looks terrible. But if he stayed healthy,
0: it, it would have been fine.
2: Um See, I don't think it would have been frankly, fine either.
0: Like I think they could have allocated resources somewhere else. Like you just you can find Edo smiths and Devontae Freeman's over and over again. I don't think you should be allowed to pay running backs. It just it I feel like it's a firewall on the, if
2: you're if you're if you're king of
0: the world, you shouldn't pay running backs. Yeah, no. I, if I was sports czar, if I was an, an owner of an NFL team, and I had a good running back, we had got he was it was the end of his rookie deal, and it came time we're like, oh, do we pay him? No, you don't. You don't pay him. You move on, and you draft another fourth-rounder, and then that's fine. Damian Williams is more than fine for Kansas City. You know what you do? You scheme guys open. The reason Todd Gurley was a lot better in Los Angeles this year than two years ago at Jeff Fisher is the scheme changed. That offensive line was incredible in Los Angeles. They opened up things. They pushed him outside. They pushed something where Todd Gurley was able to be more effective. Like the scheme, like New England does this maybe better than anybody else. Sonny Michelle was w- basically walking through wide open running lanes in the playoffs last year. Like that's what you do. You don't pay these people. Like it's insane. You should be fired on the spot for paying and running back in 2019. I will die on the I, hill. I, Austin Gale and I talk about this, where it's like, it's the dumbest thing. It hurts yeah, to just I, let him go, but just don't do it. It never works out.
2: I, I, I understand that position. I'll just say, and everybody always brings up New England for almost any argument. <laughs> it's like, why can't we do true. it? It's, but it's true. They scheme these guys they, open. Well, they know me, that they can do well, it. Well, let me just let me just say this about New England. Number one, they have maybe the greatest offensive line coach who ever lived, true. and they yep. always have careers so that it all starts with that and it, or and or it starts with Tom Brady and trust me when I tell you this the New England Patriots have made a shitload of mistakes over the last 15 years they've made mistakes in in play calling they've made mistakes in personnel they've made mistakes like any other team but you know what you don't know about it because they got Tom Brady <laughs> Yeah. It's amazing They're how never much able to one draft guy... A wide
0: receiver. They don't know how to do that. They never figured that if, one out. Go if, back. If, if people
2: actually went back and looked through some of their personnel decisions... And, draft, I, and again, we're ta- I, I realize we're talking about one of the two or three greatest franchises in the NFL, not just in the NFL now, but in, but in any era. And, and so I don't mean this to come off as a criticism, but they make a ton of mistakes people don't even notice. They just assume the Patriots do everything right because they win all the time, but they largely win all the time because they have Tom Brady. And as great as Bill Belichick is, Bill Belichick wins in part because of Tom Brady. Um, As great as Bill Walsh was, Bill Walsh won in part because of Joe Montana. Now, we could have this debate all day about who's more important, but I got news for you. When Tom Brady's gone and he's going to be gone pretty soon, watch what happens to that franchise. And I think everyone is okay, gonna
0: they wanna left I think they're fine,
2: <laughs> okay, that's fine. watch and, what happens I, you'll will...
0: see everybody will see the Patriots will finally stop going to the super Bowl yeah. oh, they'll they might and... be okay they're, 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 they're oh my God, you'll see, yeah. And, and, Eventually and Tom you are Brady right, will play way. like a forty something year old quarterback and it'll be sad. Yeah. But I think they got enough I got they they got enough out of him, I would say. I think they're pretty content say they with got the en- Tom I'm, Brady, uh, I, Bill Belichick. I era. think
2: they've got I think they've got enough out of them. <laughs> they they lucked out their last three or four Super Bowl wins, but they got enough out of them. yeah. Oh
0: um, um but obviously but
2: yeah. obviously running backs are undervalued, undervalued now, or overvalued now, however you want to term it, compared to wide receivers. I mean, the games have opened up. Um, you know, foot uh and defenses are nickel 75, 80 percent of the time because how often does a, an opposing offense actually run only two wide receivers now? They're always run three, sometimes four, um, and single back sets. You don't see two running backs in the backfield, you know, except for situations near the goal line. Um, so I get that running backs aren't as quote unquote valuable as they used to be, but I will say this, I gave running back who can do different things that could both run and catch. Um, are very valuable um, because that's the kind of running back that fits into schemes today. Um, I really like Todd Gurley. I think he's the, I covered Eric Dickerson his first two years when I lived in LA in the NFL. And I think I thought Dickerson was the best running back to come out of the draft since uh, Gurley was the best running back to come out of the draft since Dickerson. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I like Devontae Freeman a lot for this team. Um, but I understand the debate of boy, they shouldn't give him that money. And not so much that he wasn't good. I mean, he was great, but, but it's a risk. It
0: was Shanahan. Like, that he, like he owes a Shanahan, like, a third of his contract. Does he, like, well, send I, him I, checks every other I, week? Does he, like, thanks, Shannon?
2: Yeah, I think it's just a risk because of – not just because he's a running back, but just because of his running style. I think you had to know he wasn't going to hold up. But, you know –
0: well, they've we'll only see got nine years left on his contract, so they. Can, well, yeah, no, so okay. Trust
2: me, you should. You, you I, I'm. I know you're smart enough to know that if something says a five-year, six-year, or seven-year contract, it never lasts in the NFL. That's true. They don't.
0: They cut guys. So. Well, it's going to hurt when they see Tevin Coleman rush for a thousand yards in San Francisco this year for like $5 billion. And he might. <laughs> and I, he like, might. He's going to be so good there, and that three-headed monster that Shanahan's. Putting together with McKinnon, um, Breda, and Coleman, like Coleman was used so horribly in Atlanta this past year with Sark, but like I, you know what I'm not going to miss, Jeff, two yard halfback what? dives right up the middle with Tevin Coleman four times a game. Look, I will say
2: this: I, I'm I, I understand the I hate Shark band fan club or anti fan club that's out there. I am not going to pin Tevin Coleman on on Steve Sarkeesian.
0: I am Kevin, him Coleman him the Kevin, like, Kevin Coleman had middle. Kevin Coleman was not a in the like. That's just not what he should be doing. It was like when Jeff Fisher was doing it with Gurley, like straight up the middle. It's like that's not who he is. That's this is dumb. Uh, let me tell what you are something. you doing?
2: When Devonte when Devonte Freeman got hurt, Kevin Coleman had an opportunity to take over and show I'm the man. And he and and um, trust me, the team was looking at it. He had an opportunity to, to show what he can do, and he didn't do it. And and I don't care how bad the offensive line was. I don't care how bad you and some other people think play calling was. I think a lot of it had more to do with the fact how the offensive line played. And frankly, a lot of times, you know, Matt missed some guys at times, and guy, and, and receivers dropped some receivers at times. It wasn't always. Boy, Steve Sarkisian sucks as an offensive coordinator. I, I I honestly think I honestly think that whole narrative was way overblown. But that said. Tevin Coleman had opportunities to to show what he can do, and he didn't do it. Now, I, I think being on the West Coast, not even so much with Kyle, although I'm sure obviously Kyle will know how to use him, mm. oh. not a bad year. He's going to be filled with that a whole I'll show you thing, and I think he's going to play hard, and I think he's going to be good out there. Um, but I'm just saying he had chances to show what he could do this year or this past year, and he didn't do it. And okay. by the end of the year, by those last couple games, it was clear he wasn't going to be back with the team.
0: What was your favorite non Julio Jones target in the first half of the Pittsburgh game?
2: <laughs> I have I've walked as much of this past season out of my memory bank as possible. So I'm You should go through I notebook. can't even answer like I that. have
0: Sark what the hell in caps multiple times. Like there is I mean the Calvin Ridley sweeps. Uh, they went for negative seven yards every single time, but I was glad. I'm glad that that was in the st- the rolodex they had to pull out there every now and then to keep defenses um, on edge. Um, you know, what worked pretty well was throw it to Mohamed Sanu and let him become Mr. Yak Guy, and maybe target Julio right. Jones 18 times a game, like New Orleans did with Michael Thomas. Maybe uh, keep doing that. Let me
2: just let me just tell you something. I, I realize you could be an offensive coordinator, and asking everybody else out in in the stands in the media world a lot, a lot can go not, not, you can't do that much when you can't block.
0: That's all I'm saying. Yes.
2: And so in defense of Sarkisian, he, nobody could block. So I'm not saying, I'm not saying, yeah, I'm not saying play calling. It was always great. Um, I'm not saying he couldn't have made a difference in a couple of games, but by and large, they could not block this year.
0: Yeah. This
2: past year. and, so yeah, that's I the will last die. i say though. <laughs> though
0: on that though is people need to like as bad as that was. Dirk Cutter is going to target Julio Jones nineteen times a game. Like if we learned anything from Mike Evans and how he runs things, yeah. Julio Jones is getting his targets. So that will be good. You'll never have to go. Why is Julio Jones got zero catches and zero targets? When um, let me check my notes here. Yeah, the tight end has eleven catches in the first half. How is this a thing? What are we doing here, folks? Um. It. uh, I'm not going to miss those days. Um, The last thing, and then we have to go. Um, The Atlanta Hawks. A very divisive, divisive situation there. Still with the Luka Doncic. Oh, it's. uh, There's this player called Luca Doncic. Yeah. Um, So now the new narrative is that like both teams won, Uh, which I'm going to push back on because what's really happening is the Mavs still won the trade. Like, they got a transcendent player who's already, like, he could be a third-team All-NBA guy already. He's averaging, he's been great all year. And Trey Young has been great since about late December to now, especially post-All-Star break. It's great. Um, he's one of the worst defenders in basketball. His defensive real plus minus is still just a train wreck. He's still going to get destroyed on screens. He's sh- shooting a lot better, which was my biggest concern. Is that, like they were not freeing him up. And um, it's like if he's not shooting and he's just a, a, an amazing passer, like that's that's fine. But this, this is a huge problem because if he's not at least Damian Lillard, there's no shot at this trade ending up being any kind of uh, paying any kind of dividends for them. And now they're like too good to get a top kind of guy now. So this is their core. And my thought was like, oh God, I know what this team is now. Like they're kind of going to be like that hawks boonholzer team where it's like they're going to win a shit ton of regular season games over the next like five to seven years. Like they're going to win a lot. And they're going to be cohesive. John Collins and Trey have so much chemistry. And I love John Collins, love herder. That group loves playing with each other. The chemistry is great. And they have nobody who projects as a top 20 NBA player. None. Like, none of those three are going to be top 20 NBA guys. That They're not going to be needle movers. They're not going to be Supermax guys. It's just not, they don't have that kind of upside. And now you're kind of placed out of the Zion, R.J. Barrett kind of sweepstakes. So it's like, oh, what do we do here? And then you have like, well, the Mavs pick. Well, great. If it's 11, you're going to draft a point guard from France. You can get pop side 2.0. Great. Um, I. It's just, it's some part of it is like, yes, it's nice that Trey is not um, a train wreck, and I do love watching him pull up from 35 feet. Like, I want him to succeed, but no, they still lost the trade because they got the worst player, and they're going to have the worst player for the remainder of this time. That matters, folks. Oh, am I allowed to talk now? Yeah, sorry. I had to get that out. I've been, Jeff, I have been harboring this kind of take for a while. I've been able to unleash uh, that. That's probably not podcast. the
2: first time you said all that stuff.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I took offense to that, sir.
2: Okay, so first of all, um, again, notwithstanding your brilliance, this is your podcast, so you're, you're entitled to you. be right. You're entitled to be right every single time.
0: Perfect.
2: Um, and assuming you haven't cut my mic yet, um, I have not. You can't. You you can't judge. You can't judge the trade today. I realize in today's you know immediate gratification, immediate judgment world um, on, on Twitter and social media by all you cute little millennials. Uh, you, have to, you have to judge everything in three seconds. You can't judge this trade today. Uh, my contention at the time of the trade was, again, the Hawks were taking an enormous risk. Everybody knew, everybody knew Donchick was going to be better this year. Um, I would say everybody did not know that, that, that Trey Young was going to turn out to be a pretty good player, which he definitely has been to the point that some people now think he has a shot to win the rookie of the year. I don't think no, he will. He does not. I that, think he Don, does not. I Let's think go ahead and get that in the bud.
0: No, he doesn't. No, wait, 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 wait. I gave you your platform. Oh, Let sorry. me finish. Okay.
2: My point, my point was that that everybody thought Doncic was going to be better this year because he had played against men. Uh, he had played. He was a stronger physically guy. Um, he was more NBA ready immediately, and most most people, even even people who hated Trey Young understood that Trey Young had a high ceiling because of his skill level and because of his the way he moved with the ball in his shooting and his passing. Even with his defense, most people thought he had a high ceiling. Donchick had a high ceiling, but probably not as high because he was mostly going to be the player that you saw. Um, that's That was the contention. My contention at the time was, while I disagreed with the trade, while I would have preferred the Hawks, stay with keep the sure thing, which was Donchick, or the closest thing, that you can say it's sure thing is at the draft, if the players were even reasonably close, reasonably close. And I guess that's all subjective. Of course, it's a decent trade for the Hawks because you get a bonus 1st round non-draft pick. Now we don't really know where the picks are yet because of the lottery. We know how it falls right now. We know the Hawks right now are what fifth, I, I guess. Um, but we don't know where the pick is going to be. Um, and we know that they're going to have, what, two, three first-round draft picks, I guess. We don't know that they can't package them to move up. I think they have three three players, potentially four, really three players to build around right now. That's about as much as you could have expected at this point of the rebuild. Um, they got a ton of money and cap space, to, to, to use that word again, um, to spend in the future. I really like Lloyd Pierce. I, do um, too. I think I, I think I, I think I like Travis link. Um, I really like Tony wrestler from the standpoint that while he made mistakes early and he admits those mistakes, he really wants to win and he will spend money. He has spent money. He spent an enormous amount of money off the court, off the court with the practice facility and, and the developmental team and, and, and the Phillips arena renovations, even with the game. I mean, he, really made a lot of improvements around the franchise that needed to be made. And I think those are all good signs. I'm actually bullish on the Hawks future. I don't know how, how good they're going to be able to, how much they're going to be able to improve themselves this off season. Um, obviously I'm really looking forward to see what happens in the draft lottery and the draft. Um, I'm hoping in the next two years that they will be able to add a significant piece in free agency. Obviously they're going to have to overpay relative to what other teams are offering. But I think if you get the right guy, the thing about the NBA is there's only five players on the court at once. Last I checked. Mm -hmm. And so you can get, unlike football and even baseball, you can get pretty good pretty quickly um, just based on the fact that you don't need to add seven guys. Okay. And you've already got three core pieces. Mm -hmm at least two of them are starters. And so, but you've got three guys yeah, for you, three let's three say your starters. rotation of, of seven. What?
0: I think all Yeah, three well, are wait, starters. you got to wait to
2: see. Potentially all three are starters. You got to wait to see who else they would get in the future. But my point is you've got three guys for a core of, of the, let's say your general rotation core of seven or eight players. Yeah. So that's, that's pretty good right now. Um, and again, I don't think anybody could have expected anything worse at this stage. No, they're uh, exceeding uh, expectations. I, and, and I'm not, going, declare, is mad and I'm about not it. going to declare the... I'm sorry, what?
0: I bet you Schlink is mad about it. Like, they've won too many games. Like, this team is actually better than I think he even expected they would be.
2: I think... I think... Yeah, I, I think you're probably right. There's sort of that... Um, they're sort of that weird both sides of the coin thing. You want to lose, but you also want to see guys get better.
0: Right. And you and want to see the potential
2: and you want to see the potential in the guys, and you want to know that your, the head coach that you've sort of staked your career on can coach. Yes. Well, we know that we know that Lloyd Pierce can coach now. We know that he can develop players, and we know the players like him, and we know that, again, these three guys that they've picked in the draft can play. Those are all positive signs. The flip side is, damn, <laughs> you've, won, you've won some games. Um, but they're still going to... I don't see them dropping out of... I don't see them dropping lower than fifth.
0: I mean, That's I don't... still a problem. Uh, this is not a deep draft. This is not like... I mean, I
2: haven't looked at the standings today, but it seemed like there was at least a four or five game you know, spread between them and the team behind them or ahead of them, depending mm-hmm. upon how you look at it. I don't... So my guess is they're kind of locked into fifth. That's sort of the way it's been looking for a while. Um, they do have a tough schedule down the stretch. I guess it's possible that they could... "Quote unquote, catch the Bulls in fourth, but I sort of doubt it. As I'm looking right now, there're four, there're four games. Actually, there're four games ahead of the Mavericks, and they are five games behind the Bulls. So, um, if you're being chased down by one team, you kind of want it to be the Mavericks. Yes. <laughs> uh, uh, now, the, Maver- the thing about the Mavericks is, I think their pick is top five protected. Yes, so you don't you don't want them obviously to get to top five um In the lottery, but
0: which is another problem with the trade, by the way. Top five protection, like top two, maybe top five is bad because, like, then you're just in well, really, you know, then you're you in know, really the territory.
2: You know, the Mavericks weren't going to make that trade. They, for a long time, when they were pushing that it was going to be top ten protected, and so for Ugh. what it's worth, it was only because they, the the Hawks pushed and said, "No, we're not doing it unless it's at least top five That's why they finally made the trade. So. I well, have got great news is.
0: for you, Jeff. I've been holding this part in too. Um that was great. Very optimistic. I I I appreciate the optimism about um Atlanta's future. Um two things. Just calling One, it
2: like I see it. Yeah.
0: Yes. Luka Doncic and this is December 19th, 2018. This oh, bored tonight. about this? Mm-hmm. You're not so, done? No, I'm not done. Luka Doncic cuz you know what it, you know what makes me mad and it's going to make me mad for a very long time is I was going to be a season ticket holder. I was going to walk, go to every Luka Doncic game. It was going to be my guy in my 20s that I was like, I no, remember no, watching this dude. Yes, I no, was. you, you're just the guy my dude. you were gonna,
2: You're just the guy who said you were going to do that. weren't.
0: No, I'm not. The character assassination has to stop here, Jeff, because if you're going to write the forward in my book or you're going to write the bio, like you can't be attacking me this early and just I, I could, I'm not a man of my word. I am definitely a man of my I word, could. sir. I could, I, I could write
2: the book that people would want to read, which would be the truth, in the unauthorized version.
0: No, um, I'm looking for a PR book, not the truth, uh, Jeff. Um, yeah, so, Luka Doncic was—I I, would have gone. He was my dude. I—I I have people around me who saw me when we when they drafted him. Number three, I lost it. I was like, I cannot believe the Kings did it. I cannot believe the Suns did it. He's just there, and then they traded him, and I. I, I was it was just demoralizing, and I just I've never gotten over it because guess what? Luka Doncic scored his 500 point last night. Remember, this is from December 19, 2018, on Basketball Reference. He is now 514 for his career, as well as 188 rebounds and 134 assists. He's the second player since 1983 to reach 500, 150, 100 by the 28th game of his career. Would you think to guess the only other player to ever do that in the NBA.
2: Yeah, yeah, you know the thing I I, I love about. Some of people in your generation, you mm-hmm. know, you, you threw up all these great analytics and metrics and numbers to try to make your case. If he's so great, how come the how come the Mavericks are have the sixth worst record in the league right behind the because they play
0: in the West and they lost all their pieces when they traded everybody for presents. Oh, okay.
2: I'm sorry. I just figured that he was the, he was. What, what did you what did you refer to him at the top of this conversation? A transcend transcend. What was that word you used? Transcendent. Trans- Transcendent player, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I just figured a guy at that level would be able to carry the world.
0: Look, he's right? carrying. I mean, Michael the world Jordan the carried the world.
2: Will Chamberlain carry the world? So, well, I'm glad Johnson you mentioned Michael Jordan. Why I'm can't you why mentioned... can't Luka Doncic? Why can't Luka Doncic carry the world?
0: So I'm glad you mentioned Michael Jordan because if Doncic's season average right now, where he's doing 26 and five. um Hold on, are we
2: are we going to go on the? This guy's going to sound to be as good as
0: Michael Jordan. Track now. Uh, I mean, he can we roll it out? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I won't do it. I will,
2: um I don't I don't try to write a guy off in year one, but I will say right now he's not gonna be Michael Jordan. I feel comfortable saying that.
0: Can't say it for me. Um if Don Chich so right now he's on pace to hold twenty six and five. The only other person had, there's only two other people that have done that, the rookie years. <laughs> Michael Jordan and Oscar Robertson. Not even LeBron did it. LeBron averaged twenty-five and five. But yeah, so he—it's he, just Luka's incredible. He's in Oscar Robertson, Michael Jordan, LeBron James rookie territory, and uh, Trey so you're is saying, not.
2: So you're so you're saying Luca Doncic is going to go down as one of the twenty-five greatest players in NBA history. I,
0: I don't think he's going to be Michael Jordan, LeBron, but I do think he's. Um, Are you
2: saying he's yes or no? Is he going to be one of the twenty-five greatest players in NBA history?
0: Yes. God, you're an idiot. <laughs> I don't think so. People say that until it happens. Do you think Kevin Durant already is? Because he is.
2: Do I? Yes.
0: Kevin Durant are you, is. Are
2: you saying you think Luka Doncic is going to be as good as Kevin Durant?
0: Yeah, I am. I think he is. Unless, barring injury. You, have to <sighs> you know, I will say this. At the top of this podcast, I really had hopes for you in your career. <laughs> You've lost all hope. So is the book canceled? Good.
2: I, there was never going to be a book
0: what oh jeff say it ain't so jeff say it ain't so
2: there wasn't even going to be a maybe a graphic novel
0: <laughs> now you're just being hurtful now you're just being which hurtful. we
2: used to buy which we used to call comic books
0: mm. oh, i think they're a little bit different there's a little bit more i think it's like an ad- a way of getting around reading comics as an adult as you call them graphic novels right like it just that's sounds... just
2: what your generation that's just what your generation would say
0: yeah, you're just okay. attacking the generation now. And I I cannot wait for us to uh, kick back in 15 years from now. And uh, you look at Luka Doncic's career numbers, and you're like, oh, God, he was right. He's a top 25 okay. all-time player. Yeah, okay. So if he averages 25 and 5 for 15 years, you don't think he falls in that category? You think with him, Porzingis?
2: I, let yeah, get back to me in 15 years. Okay.
0: Yeah. Luka Doncic is already a Hall of Famer, by the way, folks. He's already a Hall I'm of I'm sure he
2: is. I know he
0: is. God, I I I just I can't do it. So no, the the Hawks. That's how we're ending this. The Hawks still lost the trade because they didn't get a top twenty-five all-time player. That matters.
2: It's it's your it's your podcast,
0: <laughs> Jeff. What can we read from you on uh, the Athletic this week?
2: Well, nothing this week. I I I was trying to take this week off, but then you kept calling me, <laughs> so. Uh-huh. <laughs>
0: Are you ever doing but this next podcast week? Again?
2: Uh, I haven't decided. Yet. Okay, I don't
0: know.
2: <laughs> By next week, I will be. I'll be writing things on the, the Falcons and Georgia football and the Braves. Probably, we'll okay. see. We'll is see there going to be goes. any
0: Luka Doncic yeah. coverage next week?
2: I don't know if there's going to be any Doncic coverage next week. I might just hold off until the Hall of Fame ceremonies before I write about him again. Oh God! I'll, I'll see.
0: I cannot wait for the first floor. Like, it just what, what is it going to take? For you to join the Luka Doncic bandwagon.
2: I, I'm I'm not the bandwagon type. I just write columns, you know that. Yeah, that's true.
0: That's fair. Jeff, it's always a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time and thank you for agreeing to write my book. I know you were souring on it a little bit at the end of this podcast, but I think this uh I think we're we're back on the same page now. I, I think, right? Yeah. I'm very persistent, Jeff. I, I, didn't, I, didn't I think know you figured that out. Um, and thank you for being good sport as I just unloaded on a Luka Doncha rant and uh, did not hang up the phone. I, I appreciate that.
2: <laughs> okay.
0: Thanks, man. Have
2: a blessed day. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. We're back on the Chase Thomas podcast, and I am now joined by my frenemy, my friends, my colleague, my whoever you'd like to give, whatever kind of uh, moniker you'd like to toss out for Derek Montilla is fine by me because he means that much to me. Derek, good evening. How are you?
1: I can't quit you, Chase. You know that. I'm I, great. I
0: know. <sighs> the, I mean, I'm, I'm already curious how this podcast is going to end tonight. Yeah. Like, do you just, do you have the longest side of your life? Probably. Probably. Yeah. We'll see. I mean, my if my Twitter feed's any indication, I've been tweeting a little bit more than I usually do. And um, a lot of it's some some wrestling stuff. And uh, I love that the, one of the, my most liked ones over the weekend was just people just being like, I hate that you're probably right about this. I think that's always been one of my favorite things where it's like, damn it, Chase. You're probably right, but do you have to remind us that you're right about this? Do we have to think about this right now? Do we have to think that Brock and Roman are closing out WrestleMania together? Because that is what's happening. That We're getting a, a stare down between the two of them after Seth Rollins is uh, carried off by his SHIELD members and Roman stares down Brock as they set the table for Brock Roman at SummerSlam. Gross. Um, gross. Yeah. yeah, that's gross. I know. See, but could you see it?
1: Sure. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: No, yeah. I mean, despite
1: I, the fact that it feels like they righted the course when it came to Seth Rollins winning the Royal Rumble, I was at the Royal Rumble. It was a very satisfying feeling to see Seth Rollins and Becky both win their respective Royal Rumbles. It felt like, even though that was predictable, even though it was said by many wrestling outlets that it was going to happen, I didn't care. It goes back to the old thing that when you pick the right person, predictable or not, people are going to still like it because it's Mm -hmm. the right person, right? Yeah. And, And lately they have seemed to be missing the mark at least a year ago, let's say not lately now, but, uh, you know, a year ago, plus they seem to be missing the mark on who they were choosing to make that right person, right? Uh, but these days it feels a lot more like WWE is actually doing as they claim, which is listening to the WWE audience and, and doing as, as the WWE want audience wants, uh, the chance, the chance for Kofi are, are there. And they're, they're obviously putting a lot into that story. Hit me with your, or though, so I can hate you, please. <laughs>
0: Or they're responding to the 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 just the PR hit of multiple big namers leaving their company at one time. Like putting the titles on the Usos, putting the titles in the revival, pushing Finn Balor again out of nowhere. But doing little things like that where you're like, I don't think you still believe in any of these people, and I don't think you want to put them in the situation that you're you're putting them in, but you're just like I'd rather not lose this asset for nothing. It's like a bunch of one-year contracts, like a desperate GM who's like, no, see, we care, and trying to roll out the red carpet before you lose them for nothing. It, it It's, I don't know. That's the more cynical approach than them just listening to the fans, but if I had to bet on one of the two, I think I, I'd unfortunately bet on the cynical version of that.
1: See, I, I, I don't. Lately, I guess I believe in them more a little bit, and it's less of the whole listening to the fans thing and more of the fact that they are trying to essentially play the fans and 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 push them in the direction a little bit differently than they wanted to. Like, you have this whole Becky Lynch-Ronda feud that if you believe for a second that WWE isn't writing this themselves, potentially, and, and having them have this whole Twitter-social media feud, you're, you're most likely wrong. I don't know. Who knows? I would but,
0: agree.
1: Uh, it also is like the thing with... Rhonda's heel turn coinciding with the things that she said on her little YouTube blog. I don't believe none of that isn't pre-planned. I think this is all part of a thing that they're rolling into, whether or not this was their long-term plan. That's different. Whether or not Rhonda getting booed out of the building, for instance, right here in Phoenix when I was here and it was amazing because I've, I've rarely been in a fan situation where I've booed someone and then felt bad about booing that person because Wait, why of how did you much, feel bad? Because of how much we were booing her. I was standing there and as a person trying to listen to what she was saying, I couldn't even I couldn't even hear. Her. I couldn't even hear because the booing was so deafening, like the booing here in Phoenix after Royal Rumble was amazing. I, I actually give a lot of credit to the Phoenix crowd because we're not normally one of those audiences that you that stands out. But the Phoenix audience no,
0: conditioned to uh, failure. Uh, Oh,
1: don't, don't even start with me, Chase. Don't even start (laughs) with me. Anyway, uh, but no, it's, it's been one of those things that the audience, when you're there in person for your hometown, sometimes they embarrass you in a way, right? Like sometimes you're like, God, this sucks. I hate to be a part of this crowd. I hate that this is my hometown. And then other times they like make you proud. Uh, Royal Rumble weekend, all weekend long, the Phoenix crowd made me proud. But a big part of that was especially like, the decision collectively just to boo Rhonda out of the building. Like that was wild to me and it was wild to be a part of, but it was amazing to witness because we literally saw someone break down and not be able to remember their lines on live television over the fact that the crowd was booing them so loud, right? Uh, the way that they did everything with Rhonda, it was the perfect transition and they just leaned right into that. And it, and it
0: was. Well, it's a better it's character, a, right? Like, oh, much the, better. Her coming at, down to the ring with her weird smile and just like she wasn't a normal human being. She just didn't know. Like it was just weird. Her cosplaying as Roddy Piper was always bad. And like the, what made her cool in the last year was her wrestling. She was just a really good wrestler and it was insane how good she was from the start. But her character as a whole was dog shit. Well,
1: but it's, because, her, it's because she's too worried about being liked. And yes. so the thing about it when you play a heel, when you're worried about being liked, is you can take all of those mental like you know issues you have with yourself all of those all of those doubts all of those fears about the audience not liking you you just turn it back and throw it right in their face and it just works really well and you're right because I've always hated her wearing Piper's jacket outside of the first time she appeared because it's too big for her and it doesn't help her to look cool she looks like a little kid wearing her dad's jacket or something that's too big for her like that There's decisions like that that need to be made in order to make someone be liked with the audience. When you look at Becky Lynch, there's a lot of really simple things they did. Yes, there's all the obvious things they did with letting her kind of be a badass and say what she did say and and turning Vince against her and essentially having her be like a female stone cold.
0: Okay, see, nope, stop right there. She's not a female Stone Cold. Not even close. No, she She is. She's like, she's like cult of personality punk. That's who she
1: is. No, 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 she's, that, that might be describing who she actually is, but that is not describing the story that they're trying to tell with her. Uh, When you, when you have have her, no, 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 when you have her arrested and taken out of the building by police officers while she's smiling and looking behind her, it was, didn't Roman Reigns do that a year ago? Okay. But that's, I know, that, that has nothing, that has no impact. That has no I mean, impact. I mean, I, people on, get arrested you.
0: on WWE television from time to time. I they don't know get if that arrested. necessarily makes any. There's
1: a big difference, though, on the way they react on the way out. That was almost a shot for shot reenactment of the time Stone Cold got arrested.
0: Which is fine. But also, like, it's just, I feel like when we I hear that reference, it's almost like an insult to Stone Cold because he's the most over-professional wrestler of all time and Becky's not even close. Like, it's just, it, Stone Cold is just. It's insane.
1: Okay, so let's talk about that in general, because I feel like this story has been convoluted. I feel yes. like that lent a lot to the, the kind of there was a lot of there was a lot of steam behind Becky and mm-hmm. a lot of it got let go. But a lot of it, too, I will agree with you, is not necessarily just the convoluted story. There's been ways she's acted or way ways that they've. Like written her into it's very it. Very
0: heelish. Well, like the, the, it's not the she's heelish. She sucker punched it. a lot of people. Like nah, reasoning for stuff. She's whiny. That's she's all, cheated a lot. That's all like, stone
1: cold. None of that bothers me. None of that. Okay. It really what it is. It, it's it's a lot of the fact that she doesn't continue to reinvent herself. She doesn't continue to find new things to say. There was like a moment where she was really being kind of inventive and creative. And then it's that thing that wrestlers kind of get stuck in when something's successful is they're like, no, do that now. And it's like, well, I want to say this. No, just go out there and call yourself the man and say the man's come around and talk about being the man. You're like, no, but I have these other things. You know what I mean? Like they, they, they kind of typecast them into a six into a role where
0: they were successful at any point but yeah because th- eventually this is a tipping point right like by this summer people will be tired of this act like people have moved on
1: the people way like the, oh, okay the way they're doing it right now i wouldn't be surprised if people are tired of it before wrestlemania honestly
0: and part of that is and you can correct me if i'm wrong here but i think this feud crossing over to both shows every week is a problem because it's just they've been overexposed over the last month and a half like it's just them having to appear on both shows and keep these segments going and just it's a lot of content and they just don't have the the writers like they're kind of backed in a corner and they just have to go out and keep trying to make this engaging. Cause like there's still three more weeks until right. WrestleMania and they have to like, and now you just, should have done an angle where they just took them off TV for a while. Yeah. Like somebody knocked, took somebody else out and they're just not around for a little bit. They, like, okay. Uh, and, am I wrong there? No,
1: you are absolutely not wrong. You are absolutely right. They got impatient. When, yes. When, when Vince came out and suspended Becky for 60 days, That was perfect. They were right. They were right on the right path at that point.
0: Then then fans would be jacking segments like we want Becky, that kind of stuff. And she's just not around.
1: And she could do all sorts of other things where she's still in the public eye without being on television. She can still like post videos on her Twitter account of her causing trouble. There could be other things where you're like, here's Becky Lynch being, you know, booked at whatever city we were in that she got arrested whatever to keep it going but without having her be there at least for a little while it's like they couldn't wait to get her back you know and and i mean honestly that's big problem with wwe overall over the last 20 years is something is successful and they can't wait for it to be around all the time on tv every single week and the only time I remember that ever being successful was with stone cold. Stone cold was the only wrestler I remember in my time as being a fan that like, I would be mad if he wasn't on an episode of raw, you know, but that was because at the time, all we were talking about is raw. All we're talking about is one, two hour show per week that he would show up and basically be the main character of what that show was about every single week. So the the impact of not having him there, or having him injured or having him get screwed over by Vince or whatever happened along the way, it 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 made it exciting, but it didn't have the same feeling as like what they've done with John Cena over the years or Roman Reigns over the years, which is the same overexposure that you're talking about with this feud. It's kicking off Raw every week with John Cena coming out getting on the mic. And having John Cena overcome every adversity to always win the championship, same shit with Roman Reigns, having every week the show be about Roman Reigns, it's no knock at them. But they're just not interesting enough to make the show about them every week the same way it was about Stone Cold. And the roster is far too talented to make it all about one guy or one feud all the time without giving everybody else their due. You know, uh, especially when that person isn't really good enough to hold that that kind of weight, you know, and it's no knock to Roman. It's no knock to to John Cena. Those guys are both awesome performers and they're both very much deserving of being main event guys. But it's different to be a main event guy versus being a guy that the show is solely focused on and all about right now. The only person I can see that being is, is Daniel Bryan, in my opinion. Because I love everything
0: he's doing so much, but my opinion—that's well, good news because he's retaining the title at WrestleMania. Oh, I'm sure he is. Well. I'm sure he is. You don't, I don't give... think people know that yet? Uh, that got me a <laughs> lot of pushback because I think only one of those big three babyfaces are winning at Mania. I think it's only one of the three they're giving. Is that crazy? No, it's not crazy.
1: I don't think so. Um, so
0: I have Becky winning. That's the only one I think who's winning. I don't. Of the three I don't think. Faces. I don't
1: think all three can walk out as as winning so I, I definitely feel like you're on to something I definitely don't think all three can walk out
0: and it's gonna hurt man because like obviously there's gonna be the Booker comparisons from that Triple H run where they just inexplicably kept the title in Triple H for no reason when Booker had that great story going to WrestleMania sure um and obviously there's not a great track record with African-American champions and WWE sure. and Vince McMahon it's like there's a lot of reasons to not believe in this and it's not genuine. And that like Kofi just got into this because Mustafa got hurt. Right. Like there's this, like he, this entire he,
1: story should be Mustafa's technically.
0: Right. So I just, I have a hard time believing that Vince is just going to be like, all right, fine. Let's just scrap everything and give Kofi Kingston, the guy I've had in this company for 15 years, a world title run. Like, I just, I don't think that's how he operates in his mid seventies. So- also, Vince man, should not be on TV anymore. Am I crazy? Like, I f- I've said, uh, am I crazy a lot? But like, yeah. is he not just the worst right now? No, no I just It's with awkward. You. It's uncomfortable.
1: No, no, I like him. I like oh, okay. him.
0: You, you like like the Kurt Angle stage that he's entered into his career where it's like, this isn't Vince McMahon. It's this like new person that I don't know what it okay. is. Okay, and, and here's why. He's In, an
1: alien. Well, Vince McMahon was always super over the top, right? The whole you're fired and all the voices we make about him and all of that, right? the current Vince McMahon scares me. The current Vince McMahon seems like what Vince McMahon actually would be like backstage dealing with issues, you know, just super matter of fact about it goes up and tells you how it is. You're not going to get your shot kid. You know, you're, you're a good worker. You're a B plus player, all of that kind of stuff. I thought, honestly, the segment, what bothered me with the segment with Kofi and the New Day, honestly, and I, I, you talk about getting pushback. I got pushback from my friends on this. Um, I just, I, I feel like Xavier and Big E are over the top about how mad they are about it. Like, I like the way Kofi's playing it. I think that he's playing it the exact way someone who's getting screwed over the way he is would play it. And I understand his friends being mad, but at times they're just so unnecessarily vocal that it's like really? Come on, man. If this wasn't your shit, you wouldn't be this mad about it. And so that part about it makes me go, I <clears> but uh, 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 on the flip side, not to be a hypocrite or contradict myself at times, I really have liked their, their brotherhood, their camaraderie, like after Kofi lost the elimination chamber match and they came out and they, you know, sat with him on the stairs and then, and, and consoled him and basically were there for him. Like that was to me, that was perfect, you know? So it's, it's one of those kind of things that you can't have. Um, I don't know. I don't know. You can't, you can't have them, everybody playing it super over the top, especially when they're not directly being affected. I just, I get Xavier and Biggie being upset. There's just times where I'm like, Oh, come on, tone it down. Like, you're at an 11. You need to be at, like, a 6, you know? Um,
0: I have, a, but I have Vince, another follow-up to this whole thing. Sure, too. go ahead. Go ahead. Um, You're not going to agree with this, but... Oh, probably not. So, I would have had Randy Orton win the Rumble this year. I would have him another one. And I would have done Randy versus AJ because I would have had AJ beat Brian for the belt, and then done this what they're doing right now. You're an idiot. You're an idiot. You're the worst human so being I've ever Dude, met. Orton in my is entire so life. good. It Orton Styles feels like a main event WrestleMania match. Um, Kofi Daniel Bryan feels like a fast lane WWE title match, not a WrestleMania moment. And I, I love Daniel Bryan. I think what he's been doing is good. But like, if you could have done Styles, Orton. Like, I think just the history of Orton being the long time WWE guy on top of everything he never left, and then Styles being the long TNA guy, and obviously he brought up Dixie and all this other stuff. Like, that promo was amazing. Randy Orton, when he's motivated, outstanding. And the match, like, the psychology. Remember when AJ was off the apron, he faked him out, and he went for the RKO and felt Like, we know that's going to be great, and people are going to be invested, and it's going to be fun. We're going to get a crazy RKO, a crazy flying forearm. Like... That feels like a WrestleMania main event for a world title. Uh, Daniel Bryan as a heel go- goober versus um, Kofi Kingston does not uh, feel like that. No, we There's couldn't. We
1: there. couldn't be more on opposite. I didn't sides think you'd agree with. This. No, that's yeah. a, that's a that's a terrible take. That's a terrible you. take. But Thank I will you. say I get where you're coming from on it. It's all the focus, uh, and I will say that the longer that they keep Randy Orton without another title reign. The less and less valuable I feel like he is. You know, like Randy Orton is that kind of guy that needs to gravitate back towards the title once, at least every couple of years, to just keep that, keep him from being just regular old whatever now. You know, like to
0: prove to the fans that like this dude hasn't lost a step. He's still good enough to carry the brand for a while. Right.
1: Because I agree with you. He's very, very good and he's very entertaining and he's very hateable. So, I don't know what they're doing with him at times, and I don't feel like it's his fault. Right. Like, I get, I could say at times that I don't know what they're doing with Dolph Ziggler, but then there's times where I could say I don't know what to do with Dolph Ziggler myself. Ran- uh, you release him. Randy Orton is different, and I don't put him mm-hmm. in that same category. I, I, I enjoy Randy Orton. I think he's. He's always ready to go. He never seems like he's phoning it in. He's always in great shape. He can always deliver great promos. And as a heel, he's one of the best heels they have, you know, but it just doesn't seem, it doesn't seem like they're utilizing him. It seems like, you know, Randy Orton has gotten the same kind of, well, let's, let's put him away into like the more legendary kind of tier now that John Cena has, but Randy Orton was never overused or overexposed as John Cena was. He never had the consecutive frustrating number of title wins and you know title reigns that that's seem-
0: speaking of is it too late to do orton versus cena at wrestlemania this year oh uh, yeah. ever. yeah at
1: this point yes oh, okay you would have had I to can't leave. wait when you they would have finally had
0: to some sort of groundwork yeah yeah I have- when we finally get orton versus cena for the first time ever god it's gonna be great you
1: know my favorite thing is i have a Program from two thousand one, I believe, from a WWE event that I attended. And my favorite thing about that is, like, in the up and coming section, it's Randy Orton on one side and John Cena on the other for like hmm. and comers
0: Is he wearing like the was this the um, Overdrive days for Randy Orton? Um, I believe so. Okay, Overdrive so. Randy Orton, yeah, and the prototype John Cena,
1: yeah. John Cena is wearing a dumb hat in the picture, like a one of those. You know, bucket hat, an idiot. He's
0: been wearing a dumb hat for a long time. Oh, Just variations of the same dumb hat.
1: Yeah, that's true.
0: <laughs> but he's John Cena, and we all like him now. If you had told me in, like, 2006 that I would appreciate John Cena as much as I do now, because um, my, like, do you know what, like, so I told you what I would done the WWE title match, what I would have done with the Universal title, you're, I don't think you'll like this either. I would have done Cena versus Lesnar at Mania this year, and I would have built the program around those two. Cena saving Monday Night Raw from Brock Lesnar. Who did Brock Lesnar come back against? John Cena. He attacked him. F5'd him seven years ago. That's how it ends. That's how the Brock Lesnar stuff ends. Cena saves the business. And we get Cena and AJ Styles raising... Or actually, you know what? Cena and Orton raising their two belts to signify that they're still the best of the best. And that's how WrestleMania closes. Those two... In their Eddie Guerrero, Chris Benoit moment, they hug it out. And uh, we build to Randy Orton versus John Cena for all the titles at next year's WrestleMania. Can we
1: be done with this podcast now? I don't want to do this anymore.
0: <laughs> the last part was just for um, comedic effect, but I, I am genuine in my... I would have done Cena versus Lesnar at Mania this year for the title. Yeah, I do believe that would have been the best play. It's
1: weird because I feel like they get that they have to start doing new things. Um, and part of that uh, is, is honestly not going the, the John Cena route anymore. I think, Mm -hmm. I think John Cena it's, it's weird because he's, he's like Roman Reigns in the aspect that, you know, you appreciate him more with time. And there's... I
0: still do not appreciate the Roman Reigns character. It's already bad again. By the way, yeah. fans are already getting like, eh, oh no. Because I was like, when well, this this is the uncomfortable thing about all of it. It's like we want him to be healthy. We want him to be great. He's yeah. not. His character's still terrible.
1: Yeah. Wow.
0: Well, it's not going to work. This is. He, they haven't learned any of their. Like, they, Vince McMahon has learned nothing from the Roman Reigns time off like it's the same thing like no like at least give me theme music because i think fans really are conditioned to boo that theme song
1: yeah that's part of it i mean i can't stop but think of that youtube video where the guy put music to it or words to it
0: (laughs) yeah my friend paul griffin of rbi wrestling has pitched just give him a saliva theme and it fixes the business and i i'm not sure he's wrong just what he comes out with a batista like theme does that change everything for roman reigns going forward
1: only if, like this week on SmackDown, he ironically walks out to a song that says I walk alone and he comes with fifteen security guards.
0: Do we give him cult of personality as an ironic thing? No. Give him nuclear heat where and the fans just come up and it's just well, room rain and rains. Because right. remember when um Randy Orton had the this fire burns for an episode of SmackDown.
1: Yeah, yeah, when these we... are these are all terrible ideas. <laughs> this is an entire episode of terrible ideas. <laughs>
0: Uh, uh, I, I don't think so. I think these are fine. Like, can, would you? What feels like a WrestleMania main event? Does John Cena versus Brock Lesnar and AJ Styles versus Randy Orton not feel like two big time matches? You can't come up with a better. But I don't want to watch those matches. Do you really want to watch the other ones? I do. Okay.
1: I do. I do because it's so. Up-
0: something tells me you're not excited about forty five minutes of Batista versus Triple H.
1: Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> you're right about that, sir. But I do. I do like Batista being back, and I like Batista especially as a heel. So yep. I'm excited that he's back because it feels like he's back, even though he said that this is just a one time match thing. I get that. He's too big in Hollywood now to come back full time uh, at this point. But
0: I think he's also 50.
1: Is he really 50 years old?
0: Yes, the combined age of Triple H and oh. in that match is like 100 years old. Oh,
1: no. no. That's impossible. Uh, I told you he's
0: 50, right? Is he 50? Yeah. I don't know. 50. Yeah, look, I'm looking at it right now. 50.
1: Jesus.
0: He got in really late. Can we all hope to look that good at 50 years old? Just say that. Hey, <laughs> you know, I people have said I, I look like a young Batista all the time. No, they do
1: not say that, Chase. <laughs> I can guarantee they don't say that.
0: <laughs> yeah, the combined age of those two is 99 years old. Wow. Yeah, Triple H turns 50 in July. So they're almost the exact same age. Folks, if you thought Triple H and Shawn Michaels versus Undertaker and Kane was bad, wait till we give you a 45-minute oh, entrance. Oh, that, that match was like 400 years old between all the guys in that one. <laughs> uh, like, Triple H just tore his, what was it, his pec? What did he do he, in that match where he had the purple body um, after and he had that awkward shot? And then he's coming back for this match like... He's going to give, like, the entrance is going to be insane. It's going to be very over the top, and this match is going to get so much time. And some people are going to be like, the psychology of these two and the history and just all of it. It's like, no, this match is going to be awful. Like, this match is going to be bad. Do I love Batista being back? Do I? Am I going to enjoy some of these segments before? Yeah. Did I enjoy Batista just dragging Ric Flair around backstage? Yes. Do I want them to wrestle at WrestleMania? Absolutely not. But WrestleMania is done. Like no. the WrestleMania that I that you and I grew up with is over. Yeah. And it's never coming back. I don't
1: I don't know if that's a bad or a good thing because
0: It's a bad thing.
1: I had the WrestleMania you and I had growing up one time had Bam Bam Bigelow versus Lawrence Taylor as the main event.
0: Well, you don't want to go that far back, but I'm talking more like WrestleMania 21. So WrestleMania 21 had the You're so young, of- Chase. You're so young.
1: You're so young and fresh and baby soft. I don't even care about this. Look, if we're going to get an old timers match, I'm happy. It's triple H versus Batista versus some of the old timers matches that I've had to see. Do you know how many flabby Ric Flair matches I've had to watch in my time? More than the good Ric Flair. I've seen more flabby, not shouldn't be on television. Ric Flair matches than ever seeing good Ric Flair and shape matches. Not to mention, don't make me go off on the entire 1998 year in WCW. Okay. I bet the combined age of those guys was like 5,000 years old in the main events of those shows. This is fine because this isn't like getting. WrestleMania is definitely not
0: fine. They're getting 15 matches in a seven hour show. You can't make the case it's fine. Fine. I'm not going
1: to. No. That. I might not even watch it, but it's fine. It's fine fine Jake.
0: no it's bad we can say it's bad wrestlemania has been shit for years you and know, they can't fix it you know what because it's too
1: big let me tell you something else kofi can,
0: everyone's on the card now kofi they can have to get win everyone the on the card
1: because if kofi wins the title they could totally still let him keep the hemp belt
0: okay so can i read this wrestlemania 21 card by the way oh yeah just go. to show how much has changed please in years. i
1: can't wait to hear the wrestlemania 21 card that i could recite probably by memory Okay, give me the first one. Give me the opener. I don't Who know. Who won the Battle Royal? Uh, I don't know. I, I Booker really... T.
0: Booker T. Ray Mysterio had a singles match against Eddie Guerrero. Edge won the first Money in the Bank
1: ladder match. That's right. Okay. I, I Undertaker I This was Randy the one Orton. at Staples Center. Am I right? Was this the Hollywood yes. one with all yes. the Hollywood stuff?
0: Big time. I'm on my yes. way. Yes. I'm making it. Okay. Mm. Um...
1: So the Undertaker, Randy Undertaker beat Randy Orton in that one, and then Kurt that was Angle, one where John Michaels. That was the one where Batista beat Triple H for the championship, and right?
0: Beat JBL. There was only, there was actually zero part timers. Was that the, on the
1: one card? with? That wasn't big. Show, that was Big Show versus the. That was the sumo match with Big Acabono. Show, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, with Akabono.
1: Ah, oh, did you know Akabono was born out of an egg?
0: I thought you were about to say he was dead. Is he dead?
1: Oh, he's alive. And did you know the great Muda is his father? And he I
0: did not know that. He
1: got his mother pregnant by spraying his green mist into her vagina.
0: I don't think any of this is true. Oh,
1: no, that's no, that's 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 a shoot, brother. Oh, is it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I don't think any that of that's Um But that's serious. just the difference. It's like, I sometimes think about that where I'm like, oh my God, that's what I want. I want a bunch of singles matches. I want some high rivalry feuds. I want WrestleMania to go back to being the penultimate point for guys where it's like this is our next generation or this is who the we're going to build our next year about like this is who it should be a star making moment not like remember these guys and then also let's get everyone on the fucking roster on this card that is the big that might if we could just stop with that like that amount of multi me matches on this card is insane
1: to me that's the biggest problem when it comes to wrestlemania is the need to get everybody on the card.
0: Just pay them. Just don't put them on the card. It's, Give them a WrestleMania bonus and just not put them on the card. You, I
1: don't, do they even get WrestleMania bonuses anymore? Is I thought us? that was the whole WWE contracts I, even work anymore.
0: I mean, if so. I have to call Enzo, hold on, Enzo. <laughs> He'll tell is there us.
1: anybody else you could call instead?
0: <laughs> no, because Enzo is just out here like be just just gradually just being like, you know what? Uh, yeah. It's man mob ties, all kinds of stuff. Like Enzo just does not care.
1: Giving up the goods, huh? Well,
0: yeah, apparently. Um, yeah, it's, it's not great. Um, you better watch grease
1: grease spot soon enough with a, that kind of attitude. Uh, protect the damn business. I just think that overall it's to me, I like the matches that they're focusing on and I am okay with them. Uh, the the triple threat match. I never felt like needed to be a triple threat match, but I get why I'm not mad about it when it comes to the women's match being a triple threat match. Uh, I just think that they tried to be so tricky and creative about Charlotte getting involved with it, that that's what we were talking about earlier. That's what made that whole situation. So convoluted. Um, And then again, like with Kofi, this, that, that Kofi situation seems so weird because again, it wasn't meant for him yet. They pulled him into it and, and I, and I liked the direction they took with it. Yet it still bothers me that they have the whole, you don't belong here, kid kind of vibe to it. That was obviously attached to what they would have been doing with Mustafa Ali. However, I was very much behind what they were doing with Daniel Bryan and Mustafa Ali. I thought it was really cool. Yes. And at it played out. I think I would be more excited about a Mustafa Ali match at WrestleMania than I would be at, at Kofi. And the, Well,
0: he's a better wrestler. Like, he was so good in that Triple Threat He
1: was match. so good. Well, and also the thing about Ali is his story would have been, I don't know, it would have made more sense. Like, you know, telling Kofi, who has done so many amazing things in WWE, that I'm bringing in a bigger box office and it's Kevin Owens doesn't make nearly as much sense as if you were saying it about Mustafa Ali and Kevin Owens, right? Yeah. So all the all the main points of this story have been, at least in my opinion, geared towards Mustafa, which kind of makes it awkward. But the way they integrated Kofi and the way that Kofi and the New Day have kind of already played it up leading into this kind of make it a well-rounded story because now, you know, You got me and my friends just walking around the house shouting 11 years, you know, (laughs) it's, it's, it's shit like that, that is memorable and at least makes you invested in it. I applaud the sleight of hand they did in switching out an injured Ali for Kofi and having it seamlessly continue.
0: But it was an accident. There's no way they expected it to be. Oh no, no, no. But they're just like, oh, he can do kind of stuff like uh, Mustafa Ali. He can do some flips. He can be a little athletic. I think that's all it was. They're like, he's kind of like
1: Mustafa. I I don't think so, though. I think that when they started realizing that they had something special is when they decided to let him just go in that spot. I don't know if he would have been the last one in the elimination chamber like he was had it not been for the fact that they had an idea that the audience was going to be behind him.
0: I think uh, that would have yeah. just been Mustafa is my point. Is I think that just, I do they too. just inserted him in. I do too.
1: I do too. I don't think it would have been any. Uh, I don't know. It's weird. It's like on one hand, it worked possibly better. I don't know if the crowd reaction would have been the same for Mustafa. So the way that the crowd's like chanting Kofi's name and shit, that's, that's exactly what the WWE wants. And yes. the, the fact is,
0: but it, it's also an organic rise. It's an organic rise.
1: Creates... It's an organic rise, but that means that they still pick the right person to take Mustafa's spot. True. Right. That is true. That's what I'm getting at is, is like they, they had to think they had, uh, they had to scramble to replace him, but they found somebody who they could easily roll his same storyline into add a little bit of nuances based on the fact he's a veteran that's been passed up over the years. And still have it be the same storyline, and and I'm excited and interested about it. They're telling Do you a think story
0: when um, the WWE injury uh, guys had to um, tell Road Dogg that he was going to have to change the, the the script and the how Elimination Chamber is going to work because Mustafa was hurt. Do you think they said, um, "Hey, uh, Road Dogg, uh, 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 Mustafa's hurt," and Road Dogg was like, "What, really?" And do you think they responded with, oh, you didn't know? Well, your ass better call somebody. And then he had to call Kofi Kingston.
1: <laughs> Can we be done? You, this is too, you are up too late. You are obviously insane. Have you been thinking you think this whole podcast? <laughs> you've been waiting this whole podcast to use that joke. I have. I thought about it earlier today. My to me up. God. <laughs>
0: I thought about that whole backstage. That could have been a whole thing. I would have loved it. Oh, uh, like just had some road agent be like, "Oh, you know Mustafa's. He's not available tonight." And I was like, "What? What? Huh? Oh, you didn't know? Your ass better call somebody." It would have been great. Would have been
1: if, the, especially if the guy did it like all in his face like that.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Okay. God, I love to upset you with these kind of things.
1: Yeah. It's really bad. I don't know why I keep coming on this podcast. I just I enjoy you.
0: Yeah, I, I don't know either. No. <laughs> it's like it's a it's a hate enjoyment, and I, I totally understand that. Um, the last thing I wanted to touch on before we got to go, um, I've been a big Miz guy. I don't know where you've stood on the Miz in the last couple of years, but that opening thing with, um, Bass Lane and just um, I, sidebar, Miz's dad not a great actor it turns out oh
1: not good at all like the people that he were there with him at all. better than it he was, was
0: it was wild yes. how <laughs> just the lack of emotion where it's like you could t- it was almost like Vince was in his ear at some point like hey guy it's been 35 seconds can you make a move with Shane destroying your son can you make a face or like throw your hands up or something um but Shane and Miz man that was great that's like one of my favorite heel turns the last couple years and i'm wondering cuz i've always been on the fence of like i just I don't think we've seen Miz as a babyface, And I just, uh, the Ric Flair stuff and the, the figure four and all that, like, I didn't enjoy it. And they're like, well, maybe it's, could be different now. Maybe the, the, the tide has turned with um, the Miz where it seems like more people respect him. And a lot of that came from talking smack and his interaction with you know, Brian and all that kind of stuff where it's like, not, it's kind of cool to like the Miz when it was just like, if you're one of those dudes who were just like, yeah, I love the Miz. And it's like, really do you, the miz um i i was always back and forth on that but i really do think he might work as a baby face this time i think it might work
1: yeah my friends were always really high on the miz uh the guys from the steel cage i i mean i, I there was a part where they would tell me how much they liked him and all i could sit back and think was why what what am i missing right um but you're right <clears throat> this particular run especially combined with Ms and Mrs. and the success of that. Like, everybody loves that show. Everybody loves him and Maurice on that show. It makes it very hard for them to be...
0: They're lovable together. They are. Like, him talking about his daughter and everything. Like, he's a family man. Like, there's, he's just a different dude.
1: Now, my concern with the Miz, from what I've seen so far, between his interactions with the New Day at one point before he was kind of face, but when he, they were getting him there, and then, like, this whole thing with Shane, is he comes across to me as being very goofy as a face. So, i I would like to see a more serious version of the Miz as a face. I think we're going to get that, that out of this Shane feud. That might even be what this Shane feud is, because he was very fanboy ish to Shane this whole time, right? That was his whole thing. Was he was like, "Come be my partner. I, I love you. You're the best in the world, and we're the best together. And you know, between the two of us, we could be the best, and all that stuff." Right? So. I think that if this is Miz's growing up moment, where he's going to now kind of have an edge to him, but still be a face, I, I'm I'm for it. But what I've seen so far makes me a little worried that him as a as a baby face is just super goofy, family man guy. Now you know that doesn't have the same qualities that once made him, you know, the the main event guy. It, it's weird how they took his character. And made him from the A-lister in Hollywood, especially this week, to being like the hometown kid underdog in in Cleveland. You know, it's it's interesting the way that they position them. And I think the only problem with WWE lately is they don't really know how to book a babyface in any other way than being like an underdog. And being some sort of humble family man. That the world beats up and then like comes back and hulks up and you know wins or whatever. Like I I, I don't know. They 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 seem to f- need to figure out new ways to book baby faces because they're very creative with their heels, and that's why heels always tend to get over even as a heel. It's the reason why we will cheer Elias regardless of what you tell us he is and no matter what he says about our town that he's in. We, we like him, but. Even Elias, when they made him face there for a little while, kind of got a little, little cheesy. And you could tell his character lost, lost his way, essentially, because without him just talking shit about the town he's in or the people in the crowd or, or his opponent, it it, kind of takes a lot of the qualities we love away from him. So. I, I don't really know what the answer is sometimes it, it, it even even with me I feel like the fickle fan that Daniel Bryan describes there's times where I'm like huh I liked this two weeks ago but now not so much If I've had my fill
0: if they're smart about this my thing would be it's what I would lay out for them is this is how you get back to Ms. Daniel Bryan and you write some wrongs there. Where you flip the roles, where like Daniel Bryan was the comeback story, the babyface surprise return from injury, Miz was the guy that he had the heated exchange with. This time, Daniel Bryan's lost his mind, and Miz is the voice of reason, and that's your SummerSlam Summer feud. You re- you do it all over again with different um, dynamics, and maybe it works better. I that's what I would do is I would build back towards Daniel Bryan and the Miz. Just with their characters in different places now. I yeah. think that's how you see if this works. No, yeah, that's, absolutely. That, that'd be my thing,
1: absolutely. Not to mention the fact that we're, you know, like you said, full circle from where we were. We have Daniel Bryan being one of the biggest heels in the company, and and arguably by that time they could build Miz up to be one of the biggest baby faces. I mean,
0: yeah, the every He's already, guy. He's already doing it a little bit with the Cleveland stuff, and just like, there's an easy way to make him like the everyman kind of right. uh, guy that and, you know, sep- Vince loves sep- and baby faces. separating him this
1: way from from. Shane is a good, good way to do it. You know, not an,
0: he's got to stop wearing the high ranger headband though.
1: And he's got to wear the, stop wearing the circle sunglasses too, you know?
0: Yeah.
1: But again, maybe shedding that kind of stuff and that evolution of his character is what could make his story so good. See, that's the problem is kind of like what you were saying about Roman earlier. If you're not going to, if you think everything works, it doesn't. And if you think everything's going to be good forever, it's not. It's the reason why Daniel Bryan went heel. You could tell that the yes chants were dying. They were down to the point of being like a what chant. They were down to being like
0: Well, that was just because they were watching Daniel Bryan have matches against Big Cass.
1: Oh no, 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 no. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, no. This had that had nothing to do with it. It had to do with that the 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 gimmick had run its course. And at the point when he came back, they were just trying to relive Old glory days essentially with Daniel Bryan instead of having him come back fresh and new and the Daniel Bryan heel turn has been one of the best things ever he's so good at everything he does but this particular heel turn has been what everybody describes When a wrestler gets into that perfect zone where they're just a a ridiculous caricature of themselves and Daniel Bryan, can you imagine how many times he's had these exact same conversations that he yelled at, at the WWE audience with Brie? And Bree's just sitting there reading a magazine and rolling her eyes while he's talking about climate change and emission gases and whatnot. Like That's that's probably Daniel Bryan in real life, just not as annoying. And now he can just take all those feelings and thoughts and tangents that he has about the earth and he can spew him as the biggest jerk in the company. It just all works so well. Roman Reigns is one of those kind of guys that needs some sort of change him being gone for a while, at least was enough of a change for people to really get behind him and get excited about seeing him again. But like you said, we're conditioned to boo that music. He hasn't evolved any from his time at the shield. He just became the one man shield without the other guys. Essentially. He kept the theme music kept coming out of the crowd. He kept still wears the vest, all of those things. And that's the reason why characters and people in wrestling grow stale. You know, there was a time where Stone Cold wouldn't even have the same shirt from feud to feud. John Cena was the same way. But you know what I mean? Like there was a time where these guys would change it up like, "Oh, we're done with that now. Now I'm slightly different for this like next month and a half period of time where we're where we're building up to this pay-per-view." You know, there was just always these times where these guys evolved and their characters became something different. Now the problem is, is when a guy's character is is popular, is successful at one point, they want to like bottle that and keep it that way pristine forever so the audience will always cheer for them in that way. And it's like that's not the way wrestling audiences work. and And people grow tired of seeing things very quickly, especially in the day and age where it's a television show every week. So you're not talking about people going to see a live wrestling show and giving a month between it. You're talking about a weekly television show that then we get all sorts of video updates and things on the website and all sorts of other stuff in between. So it's easy, very easy for any even successful gimmick or wrestler for, for them to grow stale really fast with overexposure.
0: I agree. But thankfully our our uh, favorite wrestler as a as a whole on this podcast, uh, Kevin Owens, will never get stale because he can reinvent himself at a moment's notice. He can reinvent himself in like in the middle of a promo, like what he did last week was just phenomenal. And what he did last year, I don't know if you remember that Montreal promo he did, where he literally had this promo and then was just on fire and was the heel in the match, and the crowd ended up wanting him to win the match by the end of it. I don't remember who he was facing. Was it Cesaro? I don't remember who it was, but. It was someone the crowd wanted to see when, and he just, he turned them. And it's, the, that's why Kevin Owens is the best professional wrestler in this company. But to, um, to, to cut promos from a
1: bowling alley or from a movie theater and have them still be one of the best things on TV that week just goes to show, you know what I mean? Like he, it, it, and the, the big thing there was, it was different. It was yeah. a small reinvention of his character, but it's nothing but He can do new. that at a
0: moment's notice. Right. And he it, can do it. Yeah. You know,
1: oh, it's so good. He's so good. And I'm glad that they have him in this position. I've always thought of Kevin Owens as being a face. I've always thought of him as being the every man because he literally looks like 75% of a wrestling audience when you look at their crowd, you know, there's no reason why they should have had him in that position, but he did such a good job as a heel that I have a hard time seeing him switch over. Like I'm like, yeah, hair.
0: I look more like Mark Andrews. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> he was very good, by the way. I wish he was like a staple on, um, two, five life.
1: I'm pretty sure I could tell people Kevin Owens is my brother and they would, they would believe it.
0: No, oh, you yeah. don't look that much like Kevin. Uh, Owens.
1: Oh yeah. We got, we got the same terrible hair. Beard and oh. and hair, yeah, it's bad. Huh. I we're, built, never we're built. We're built similar. I wear shorts that say "fight" on them all the time. There's some similarities do there.
0: <laughs> do, you, do you? is that is that a thing? <laughs> okay. Okay, Derek, we have to run, but I could talk professional wrestling with you all night long. I could give you great road dog jokes all day long. I could do all kinds of things. I is don't. I don't believe story? that. Can I? I, I gotta make you sigh about something before we sign off. No. no. Are you sure you that good. oh
1: I'm good this week. I'm good this week. I think I actually don't even think I hate you right now.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I mean Can you give the Braves that grinky though? That'd be nice. Oh, come on. Come you on. don't need him. Like you're finishing last in the NLS this year. What what is the point?
1: These are just cheap shots, and I know you don't mean any of these things. I can I can tell. I can tell.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Kyler's on the way. Kyler's on the way. Oh, god damn it. All right. I'm going to go now. Bye, Chase. Bye, Derek. And that'll do it for today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. I just want to remind you guys, if you like today's episode and you are subscribed on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, I would really appreciate it if you could take a second leave lead the show, a five-star rating, and a review. If uh, you're not an Apple Podcast listener, remember you can find the show on spotify TuneIn radio soundcloud stitcher uh, google play or wherever else you get your podcasts uh, be sure to check out chase where you can access all of my previous episodes and also find all my writing i'm writing there fairly often and also follow me on twitter at chase underscore thomas and like the facebook page at facebook.com slash chase thomas writer uh thank you for your support and we'll be back Another episode very soon. Thanks, guys.
1: Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.
2: Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns.